as a founder a discipline of you know executing with as little resources as possible um, I'm more of a bootstrap type of guy um, I would love to have a lot of money and be able to execute but I know that money spoils and when you have what in the bank you kind of slack Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. Today I spoke to Victor Penev, who's a serial entrepreneur. Victor is currently founder and CEO of Edamom, which is an API for healthy recipes, and their mission is to make healthy eating simple and easy. Prior to Edamom, Victor co-founded Bulgaria's largest internet company, which was dubbed the Yahoo of Bulgaria. He then went on to sell the company to two of Bulgaria's largest media companies. He's also co-founded two additional startups, and he spent a few years working at Playboy Enterprises, which I was extremely interested to learn more about. Um, Victor has some strong views about raising money as a startup, and I kind of agree with most of the things he had to say. And after the show, you can let me know if you agree too. Okay, guys, that's enough for me. Let's get into the episode. So, Victor, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So, Victor, when you're out and about, how do you introduce yourself to people? Normally, as an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, um, this is my fourth business that I've, uh, I'm on with Adam uh, And if I don't know anyone in particular context, you know, school or other thing, I usually introduce myself as a serial entrepreneur. Awesome. And you've done a few things, including, you know, working and setting up businesses, as you said. Um, so just walk me through your background and everything that you've done up until this point, I guess. Oh, God, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a lengthy one, but I'll try to, uh, to pack it in. So I'm originally from Bulgaria, uh, came to the States for college back in 1992, uh, have started the business before that even. Um, so I graduated from college, did investment banking for a couple of years, then quit that job to start another business, uh, then uh, went to Stanford Business School. Uh, after Stanford Business School, was back in New York uh, working in media and technology, um, a few places, Bert Osman, uh, including the book clubs and BMG. Uh, and then after that, I switched on to Playboy to run their digital business worldwide. Uh, and eventually um, left there as well, went back to Bulgaria to run a company I had started before, sold that company, and I'm back in the U.S. on to the next business. So that's <laughs> nice and condensed. I just want to, um, I guess, dig into a few of those areas quickly. Um, so the first business that you started, what was it and how did it go? The very first business we started was, so just to give you context, that's 1990 Bulgaria, that is just after the Iron Wall fell. Yeah. 
the communist countries, um, you know, gray area, gray market, suddenly, you know, the whole country felt full with enthusiasm and life because things you couldn't do before, now you can do. So um, I was there just fresh out of the army, um, you know, wide-eyed, young, and with a couple of friends, we set up a business to do essentially uh, currency trading, uh, commodity trading, we're talking here, you know, gold, silver, mm. as well as, um, you know, anything that could be imported, you know, cigarettes, jeans, what have you, everything. So was this like an online business? Was this just a store? How did, how did it work? Oh, that was before, <laughs> before the internet. So wow, yeah. uh, it was not a, it was not an online business. It was more kind of a hands-on, uh, you know, cash in, cash out every day uh, business. Wheeling, very kind of old-fashioned. Wheeling and dealing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Nice, nice. I like it. And then obviously you moved to the states, and then you started another business, but then. You, you went back to that business, which I'm assuming was the netinfo.bg. Correct. So another role that you mentioned was your Playboy role. So yep. what was that role like? And and I guess, why did you leave in the end? Uh, I left for personal reasons. Um, you know, I, I had to move back to Bulgaria uh, and that's why I left uh, the job. But uh, that was one of the most interesting jobs I've had. It was, um, you know, after BMG where I had help set up you know digital marketing um, you know I that was kind of the next level where I could actually run my own P&L for a big company and run uh, digital efforts uh, and because of the nature of the business uh, Playboy was on the forefront of all digital things that are happening worldwide so we were one of the first companies to actually digital video Worldwide, uh, we're talking here, um, you know, 2004, 2006. This is before the iPhone. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and we had set up businesses, um, you know, in Hong Kong and Italy and UK. I basically covered everything outside of the United States. So that was a super interesting business, you know, to be able to work with uh, with a worldwide brand, which means something different in every country, mm. and then deal with different attitudes, different uh, setups uh, in every single country and try to create a business. Uh, it was uh, it was very hectic, it was very exciting, it involved a lot of travel, a lot of negotiation, a lot of learning around culture and how people do business in different countries. Uh, it, was, it was fun, exhausting and fun. <laughs> and I guess, did that kind of give you the tools that you needed in order to go back and pick up net? info um, where you uh, left off? I don't think it did. It helped uh, for sure uh, because it, it kind of, I mean, any, everything that I've done over time has helped, you know, to round up my background and experience, whether it's, you know, setting up e-commerce for the Bertelsmann book clubs, which is an operations job to, you know, setting up marketing for BMG, which is a marketing job, um, you know, Everything has filled up a gap in my background. Right. So running Playboy's digital business uh, was more of a business development, stretch, negotiation mm. um, role, and that definitely helped. Uh, you know, in you know pushing that team for forward. You know, we after we got back to Bulgaria, raised money from Tiger Global. Uh, we bought a few companies. 
uh, we eventually sold the company to a large European uh, media company. So yeah, having no, gone through yeah. <laughs> I want I want to get into that now actually, um, just before you you go off from there. Um, so. In regards to netinfo.bg, um, according to Forbes, it was the Bulgarian equivalent of Yahoo and Google. Uh, so, like, what was this idea? What did it do? Uh, it was exactly that, the Bulgarian equivalent of Yahoo slash Google, uh, in, to, the, to the extent that this was kind of Internet 1.0. Um, if you roll back the camera, uh, the Internet 15, 20 years ago was essentially news, email, uh, whether it was more information and communication mm. tool. Um, so we, the company that we set up, um, you know, we set it up with the idea of, you know, hey, we want to be number one in the areas that the internet uh, was at the time prevalent. And so we set it up and we built a news portal, we built an email service, uh, we, we looked at, um, uh, you know, search and everything else that uh, is that was relevant at the time. Eventually, what it ended up being is about 30 different properties uh, that were number one in, in their market. Um, so we had a number one email service, number one news site, number one uh, video sharing, um, you know, number one weather site, about 30 different services. Um, and from that perspective, it's kind of like Yahoo and Google, kind of a, I wouldn't call it a portal because it wasn't one page, but it was a, a, a agglomeration of properties that were essentially providing the internet services of, of the time. Wow. And how did you, like, how did you start this? I know you mentioned a moment ago that you, once you had come back, you had raised some money, but how did you start initially? Uh, it was very simple. So I, uh, I was an investment banker um, at JP Morgan, uh, and I was helping, I was on the team helping raise the C-Round funding for, um, what was at the time the largest Latin American uh, web portal, Star Media, wow. uh, AOL bought them eventually. And so it, it, through that process, it, you know, it became apparent to me that I, I'm essentially building a business plan as an investment banker for that company. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was a, a short jump in my imagination. It's like, okay, we can take that business plan and, you know, do it in our own country. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, when I, when I, went back to Bulgaria to do it, it was so early on in the internet that, I mean, we're talking a few computers, virtually, you know, I don't know if you remember those modems at uh, nine kilobits per second, you know, that was kind of like what the internet was at the time. Wow. But that's when we set it up. Um, and so uh, it was just seeing into the future and knowing that what's happening elsewhere in the world eventually will come to Bulgaria. Um, so that, that was it. It was pretty straightforward. We, I raised money from friends, both in London, New York, and uh, some folks I've known in California, and uh, that's it. And yeah, I just want to talk a little bit more about um, the fundraising aspect because when we spoke before, you said that you didn't take, I guess, the Silicon Valley route, which is go out and raise a ton of money. I mean, the fact that you're going to build, you know. Web point one zero in Bulgaria is a huge deal. I mean, some people would have gone out and raised like tens of millions, and we did see people doing that during the dot com boom. So, why did you not decide to, to take that route? Uh, I think part of it was initially an accident. Uh, we raised money from friends and family, and we raised very small chunks um, by any standard, uh, let alone the standard of today. Um, so, we I think 
totally we've raised $140,000 for that company in Bulgaria wow. in, in all of its time wow. of existence. Um, so part of it was that, part of it was that at some point when we needed money, uh, the, the crash happened in 2001. Um, so that was, you know, <laughs> markets were not available at the time. Mm. And then part of it was that over time, you know, we, we learned through the process of fundraising and the process of, you know, speaking to advisors and so on and so forth that money comes with strings attached. Mm. Um, and that, you know, venture capital firms, uh, by the nature of what they do and how they make their money, uh, usually uh, attach strings to the money they give, um, and, and sometimes that's that's perfectly fine. Obviously, they bring some value, and there's a cost to um, to you know the services they provide beyond the money, um, and you know preferences are okay and, and whatnot. But term sheets can be very uh, one-sided. Yeah. So uh, I've been always very cautious uh, about taking money from venture capital firms. I'd rather uh, choose my investors based on alignment with um, with me as, uh, as you know the, the person leading the company, but also with all the other investors, and make sure that everybody's on the same page. Uh, you know, if you take money from large chunks of money from uh, a professional investor, sometimes that is, um, you know supersedes or is in confrontation with other investors, and you know that's a recipe for potential conflicts. So, um, you know, it just it was just a little bit of growing up. But initially, it was more of an accident. You know, we just <laughs> we just never thought about venture capital back in you know we talk in 1999 uh, in Bulgaria. I, I don't think venture capital it was even an, an ocean back then in Bulgaria. Wow. That's amazing. But in the end, I mean, like you said, you sold the company for a sizable amount. And um, I did some snooping around the internet. And as far as I'm aware, netinfo.bg still gets millions of views every month. So you obviously did something right. Yeah, it's I mean, it's still the largest internet company in Bulgaria. It now it's owned by uh, one of the two large, there are two big TV players in Bulgaria. So um, it's called Nova TV, and it's owned by a Swedish company. Uh, so it's it's in good hands. But we did build uh, a very durable business, and at the time we sold it, we had 65% of the advertising internet advertising market in Bulgaria, wow. and over 95% penetration. Uh, so the company was doing very well at the time, and still doing very well. And I think. As far as internet businesses are going, uh, it is still the only truly prosperous native business in Bulgaria. No, I'm not. You know, the competition is Facebook and Google. It's not. It's not any other Bulgarian business anymore. So I want to shift gears a little bit now. And um, I want to talk a little bit more about, I guess, your experience up until now. So, why do you think um, your startup did so well? Like, what made it succeed? Uh, it is like any startup. I mean, I think over time I've come to understand that there is only two things you need to make a venture successful, and uh, one is passion, and the other is patience. Mm. Uh, and and the passion is really you need to be doing something that you think it's meaningful and that makes a, a change in the world and it's something that 
you truly enjoy. Um, so for us, you know, I mean, we're with my with my co-founder. We were a bit of a media junkies, but also we truly believed we're doing something very innovative, uh, something that's changing the way people behave uh, in our country, in Bulgaria. And and we were very proud. I mean, at the time we saw the company, there were over three million Bulgarians using us daily for email, um, mm. which was. You know, virtually almost everyone using email in Bulgaria. Wow. So that that was great. And then the patience is just you got to persevere. There's going to be tough moments. Uh, things are you know uh, going to go south, and uh, you just have to go through those dark moments. Uh, we even had a period of time that for six months we didn't pay salaries. You know, um, and to, to yourselves or to anyone. <laughs> To anyone, and, wow. uh, and and that's a tough place to be when you have to keep together a team without paying them. Yeah. Um, but you know, you go through those experiences and you learn. You know, that's the only way to go through. So, um, in, you know, that's kind of the lesson. I think that's what made it successful. The other thing I would say that made it successful, we had good competition. Mm. Uh, Bulgaria was one of the very few countries where a local company beat all the internationals. Wow. You know, in the, Right now, Facebook is probably pretty big in Bulgaria, but by the time we saw the company, there was no Microsoft, no Yahoo, no Google, nobody that was registering in Bulgaria. Uh, that was true for Russia, Czech Republic, Korea, but only a few markets. Most other places, the American companies have taken over the local market. And I think part of it was because we had very good competition in Bulgaria from local companies and we pushed each other forward. Uh, and I, I always admire competitors and want to have as many as possible because they really give it a discipline to every day go forward. Um, so those two, those two things, I think, you know, the understanding of passion and patience and, and having competition is what made us successful. That's so interesting. I've never heard someone say they value competition before. Uh, that's insane. But it makes so much sense as you say it, as I think about it as well. And is there any one thing that you would, I guess, attribute your growth to? So how did you guys grow month on month, year on year? Uh, you're talking about NetInfo still? Yes. Uh, it was, a lot of it was you grew with the market. You know, essentially we set up, like I said, the company when internet was still virtually non-existent in Bulgaria. Uh, a lot of it was just educating the market what is internet, you know, wow. <laughs> where you turn wow. on a computer, you know, what is an ad, you know, that, <laughs> those things. But uh, because we were so early on and because we were always kind of looking to best practices from everywhere in the world and we're all always on the cutting edge of introducing new services, new products and whatnot, we were able to grow with the market. Uh, we established an early lead and we just kept on that lead. Uh, and so we, we grew with the market essentially. I don't think there was anything that would say we went into a market and then eventually grabbed a big share of it. We just grew with the market, that was it. Wow. And was there a strategy in terms of growth? So you mentioned that you were basically educating Bulgarians on the internet. So would you say that your marketing strategy at the time was content marketing? Uh, no, no. We're talking here about even educating people to, to build a business, you know. So to build a business, you know, for people to use a service, it's fairly straightforward. You know, yeah. how to use email, uh, you don't need to be educated that much. You know, you <laughs> eventually figure it out very quickly. But it was more educating the market of ad agencies, advertisers, um, you know, 
hosting providers and everybody that else that is associated with you providing the service and actually making money. Uh, those were new times for them. And, uh, you go to an ad agency and say, hey, here is, we're going to sell you a banner for your clients that is going to reach X amount of eyeballs. And they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm selling them to TV and to uh, print and I don't know what the internet is. So there was a bit of that. Um, but um, it, but it, was, it was necessary and it happened everywhere in the world and eventually people catch up. Interesting. And I guess other than, you know, going six months without paying people salaries, what were some of the other challenges that you faced in terms of growing net info? Yeah, I mean, we were, I think, two or three times very close to, you know, uh, going bankrupt, uh, very close. Um, and I think it was, um, it's, it's one of those, as the saying goes, one of those experiences, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's essentially it. I mean, other challenges, obviously, we constantly face competition. We had to figure out how to deal with Google and Facebook and everyone when they started coming into the market and how to position ourselves. Um, you know, we had to figure out how to um, work with and against other media like TV and print. Um, so there, there was always a ton of challenges. Um, but, you know, once you have a good team and the confidence that you can execute, it, it all becomes much easier. Awesome. And how big was your team in the end? So when we sold the company, there were about 130 people employed in it. Um, so, yeah, give or take. Wow. That's great. And so now you're, so you sold the company and you're, now you're on a new mission and a mission which is very much dear to my heart, which is healthy living and um, more importantly, healthy food. So how did this idea come about? And can you just tell everyone, I guess, tell the audience what you're working on now? Uh, well, so Adamam is a data service company uh, that provides um, nutrition and food data to companies in the food, uh, health and wellness space. But um, the overall mission of the company uh, is essentially to organize the world's food knowledge and give it back to people so they can live healthier and happier lives. And um, that came about um, in a very organic fashion, you know, after selling that team, I took a time off, looked into what to do next. Uh, and I'm a passionate cook. I've been cooking for Know, 25 years every day almost wow uh, and so for me that passion combined with you know technology uh, it was a no-brainer I, I knew I had learned that you have to do something you're passionate about um, so I, I tried to figure out what what can we solve with technology that is food related and eventually came up with uh, the fairly obvious uh, that people want to know what's in their food and how it impacts their health and well-being and that this knowledge is not necessarily readily available. It often is contradictory, missing, uh, inadequate. So, um, you know, therefore, the, it was fairly straightforward. Let's just organize the world's food knowledge and give it back to people. So that was the mission of the company. That's how it was started. Uh, we 
focus on nutrition and recipes because we saw a market need there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we still want eventually to expand the company well beyond that and, and help people eat better, essentially. And you've taken the same approach in regards to funding and how you've taken a small amount of money. Again, is that being very intentional? Now, obviously, this is a different time. You're in New York City. There's so much money. You're a you know, second, third time founder. You could probably raise a lot of money if you really wanted to. Um, there are always myths as to being able to raise money and not raise money. Um, I don't know how easy it is to raise money even if you're successful. Sometimes it is ridiculously easy and that's not good. Sometimes <laughs> it's ridiculously hard and that's not good. Uh, I, I think that to an extent, yes, I, I have been cautious about raising a lot of money. I think that you should have as a founder a discipline of you know, executing with as little resources as possible. Um, I'm more of a bootstrap type of guy. Um, I would love to have a lot of money and be able to execute, but I know that money spoils. And when you have what in the bank, you kind of slack. Um, mm. So part of it is being, to an extent, cautious decision not to take way too much money and to avoid you know traps of somebody giving you money with strings attached. Uh, and part of it is a function of the market. No matter what people say, how easy it is, um, you know, if you're looking for a particular type of investor, it's not that easy to find those people. Uh, we find them, but it takes time, it takes effort. So that's why we, you know, we're raising enough to uh, to move forward without um, without making you know big steps uh, and, and stepping into potentially dangerous situations of having too much money that. Uh, may come with strings attached and maybe you know may spoil our discipline so right and of course because of the exit you had before I'm sure you're able to you know put some of your own finances into this as well right for sure I'm firm believer of that and you know it's 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 one of those things about entrepreneurs you got to jump with both feet in and and go as deep as is needed Um, and you know that means that hey if I have to put all my resources against that company to make it successful, I will. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I'm all for that as well. And um, how big is the team at the moment with NML? So it's it's 13 people. And there is a core team of five and another eight people that do less core activities, but it's 13 people. And you're B2B as well as B2C? We are B2B. You know, we have quasi B two C products for yeah. you know small businesses like restaurants or nutrition dietitians and nutritionists. Right. Uh, but for the most part, we are a B two B company. Awesome. And um, at the moment, what is the main focus? Like, how are you growing? Because thirteen is very lean, and you guys have been around for years. So, how have you managed to stay so lean and still be quite effective? Um. I think it's part of the, the discipline of keeping, you know, living within limited resources and being able to execute uh, on that. Um, we could be even leaner, uh, but I, I think there is a balance there. Um, and you know, we're looking to actually expand fairly aggressively again by not hiring too many people, uh, putting a lot of resources. But we need to be very focused on executing our sales strategy and. Uh, and grow our revenue so that's um, that's kind of what's next for us 
Awesome. And when we spoke last time, something you said to me, which I thought was extremely profound, was that founders need to work on executing their vision and finding a suitable business model before they even think about raising money. Could you just talk about talk about that a bit more? Uh, I don't think that's anything new or extraordinary. It, it is. There's different ways that people talk about it. You know, you have to iterate fast. You know, hack. You have to, uh, you know, play with. Uh, you know, customers provide products. You know, have all kinds of ways to get feedback from the market. But I think ultimately, uh, people that are not experienced entrepreneurs or even experienced entrepreneurs tend to fall in love with their idea. Yeah, and be. Um, and think that they can make money by having somebody pay them in a way that are not necessarily reasonable. So it's it's a question of discipline and being open-minded to actually go out to the market, find out, you know, if customers would actually pay for um, for whatever you're offering, how much they would pay, and, and would you make a business model out of it? Uh, and you know the answer maybe not, and then you have to pivot, and that's what happened with Adamant. Uh, you know, we we started as a B two C company, and we did find that people are not willing to pay for our product as individuals, and we pivoted to a B two B model. Um, so that's that's one of those things you just have to be cautious. You, you would make you will make a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, you know, perfectly executed businesses are more accident than skill. Uh, but it, the skill is to actually learn from your mistakes fast and you know pivot towards something that works. No, oh, that's good. I just want to work towards wrapping up now. Just a few generic questions right now. Um, what's the most useful resource? I would say those are advisors and investors. Right. Uh, and to some extent, employees. Uh, you know, so I've surrounded myself in this business with people that have experiences and uh, I've also built a culture and I'm a big fan of that of where people can speak up so employees always keep me in check you know those are people that are very sophisticated people with lots of experience professionals that can speak up their mind and if something is wrong you know keep me in check and I also constantly check in with uh, a group of advisors I have and with my investors to be able to hear what they think. Um, and so having that constant feedback, I guess the team around you, that's the most valuable resource. Mm, yeah. That's good. And um, what's your favorite book? Uh, Dao De Jing. Dao De Jing, what's that about? Uh, it's Lao Tzu's uh, minimalistic take on life. I'd say in, in the universe, it's 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 38 verses that are mystical and mysterious. Uh, but if you if you ever have a chance to read the Tao, um, go go for it. This this is my most favorite book in the sense that this is the book I've gifted the most to people. Mm, that's good, Tao Te Ching. I'll check that out. And finally, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to founders right now? I would say, going back to the theme of passion and patience, um, so it's two-sided two advice. One is make sure you do something that you're really passionate about and makes a difference. Um, so, and that's 
again, it's a cliche, but it's true. Mm. Uh, and the other is never, ever, 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 ever give up. You know, whenever it looks really impossible and everything is going to fail, it's important to just make the next step and, you know, sleep through the night, go through the day, whatever it is, uh, things are always going to be better uh, after that. So those are the two things I would say. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Victor. If people want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? Uh, Victor at Adamam.com. Nice and straightforward. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Have a good day. Oh man, thanks again to Victor for coming on the show and imparting all his wisdom. Oh man, it was so, so good. Um, I mean, I love speaking to guys like Victor, just these vets in the game who have been around for years, they've seen it all and they just want to share, you know, everything they've learned, all the mistakes they've made. And it's just so invaluable to have guys like Victor on the show, just guys who have been through it three, four times and still going and still hustling. And I love it. So as you know, I like to share my top two key takeaways from the show. Um, And then you guys can let me know what yours were also. So takeaway number one, don't raise until you've figured out your business model. Sounds obvious, but it makes a ton of sense. Um, how often do we hear startups raising a bunch of money and then saying they'll figure out how they're going to monetize or figure out what their business model is going to be? And then lo and behold, it never materializes and they never figure it out. <laughs> um, so it makes so much sense. Like figure out what your business model is going to be, figure out how you're going to make money and then go and raise. It just puts you in a much better position. Takeaway number two, surround yourself with people that you can learn from. So in Victor's case, he said he has advisors, investors and employees in some instances where he could learn from them, which ultimately helped him grow as an entrepreneur. And we hear it all the time that, you know, surround yourself with people who you can learn from so you can grow. But it makes so much sense as a founder, because sometimes as founders, we think that we have it all figured out. And nine times out of 10, we don't. So it's important to kind of have an ecosystem rather built around yourself where you can be constantly learning from people day in, day out, from different walks of life, for different areas of your business. Um, So I thought that was a really good um, takeaway from me. So guys, again, thank you so much as always for listening to the show. Um, If you haven't already, please subscribe to Startup Hand-Me-Downs on iTunes and everywhere else you'd like to listen to your favorite podcasts. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram at Startup Hand-Me-Downs and on Twitter at Startup HMD. As always, guys, until next time, keep grinding.